faded listeners, we made it 25 episodes. How crazy is this? Uh, for a new podcast, this is a huge milestone. We are so excited. And to join us this week, we've got Cody Light, who's somebody you heard actually about in episode 24. I'm sure we mentioned him before. Uh, another story to tell, somebody who is very active in the recovery community uh, and, and somebody who's really done a lot of work to help a lot of people, uh, no matter the circumstance um, or scenario. So episode 25, we're excited to get into um, a little more discussion about family. Um, Cody talks about our family going through uh, Chris's scenario and just perspective on the fact that this thing really does hit families as much as it does the ones struggling. That is so important to, I know so many of you listeners that are you know not the one that's addicted um, or an alcoholic but somebody just really trying to, to wrap your arms around um, what this thing is uh, so we talk about that uh, we also just talk about you know his his homes that he owns uh, crossroads uh, recovery in in Texas and the fact that he receives you know people from all walks of life and all steps um, of their journey uh, to try and help uh, he's got his own personal journey uh, that lasted fairly long. Um, he recalls, you know, having fifty dollars in his pocket and uh, just needing help and and being ready to get better after burning a lot of bridges and and just kind of making a mess of things. Um, and he was able to find recovery. So he's really dedicated so much time paying it forward um, to try and help as many people as possible. Um, and in that, he talks about his first experiences with Chris. And uh, you remember Christian um, from one of our past episodes, uh, he saw firsthand their journeys coming out of treatment and into recovery, um, sober living homes. And so he, he recalls where they were in their lives uh, and the fact that it's super important to um, instill some life skills, right? Life skills uh, and limit enablement when somebody is, is just, uh, just trying to turn their life around and and, and trying to get back on track. So love love his perspective there. And then we get into just two discussions for, I think, important for you listeners uh, and in relevancy to some of the questions that have come through. First is, uh, I know some of you are either, you know, personally battling if you might be an alcoholic or addict uh, or you have some in your life that you're just not sure where they fall. Uh, and I, I understand that that's confusing. So we have a bit of a discussion on just, you know, the, the qualification again from way back in the early episodes um, and, and how to qualify yourself um, or how to understand to qualify a loved one um, and really kind of where to go from there. Uh, I know that that is probably the hardest um, thing uh, to start, probably first step to take. And uh, we want to try and bring a bit more context there. And then finally, uh, we talk about how Chris and Cody and others guide people who might not have the means to go to treatment. Obviously, we get into some some really deep discussion here on treatment in general, but I think at the core, it's really important for those of you who don't have the means or those of you who have heard our story of, you know, our, our you know, Chris's privilege in being able to get go to treatment multiple times uh, we realize that that's not everybody's scenario and definitely don't want that to be portrayed as the only way that you have to go to treatment that you, you kind of have to go through this you know very expensive situation um 
while having the means makes things easier, uh, as is a lot of things in life, um, unfortunately, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't get better. So for those of you that have, you know, personally uh, are struggling to, to think up, you know, how could I possibly make this work? Um, or I don't have the means at all to, to get better. Uh, there is hope. Uh, we, we talk quite a bit about that at the end and uh, really, really want to make sure that you hear that from us as well. Uh, before we get into the episode, uh, as I've listened back to past episodes, and yes, I do, um, not only for my own knowledge, but just to, to see how we've progressed, um, I want to just call out the fact that I actually ended up going back and editing the intro for episode two. This might sound silly now, but I am very, very committed to making sure that uh, as we provide knowledge and as we continue to grow and learn that we are representing um, not only this disease, but recovery and, and all forms of it. Uh, as best we can. Uh, as I've mentioned, we're not professionals. Um, we have full-time jobs. This is something that um, we've done as a project um, based on our own perspectives. And as I listened back to the intro um, of episode two, I realized that I was pretty aggressive uh, with the fact that the 12 steps are the only solution. And um, it, my choice of words, I just, I don't necessarily agree with in the way that I recorded them the first time. So I wanted to do that justice, go back and um, just acknowledge this to you today as you are um, lovely valued listeners or for those who are tuning in for the first time. Um, it's very important to me that you know that I'm committed to that. So um, re-recorded the intro of episode two um, and just, you know, acknowledging again that uh, the 12 steps um, are a very great foundational tool um, to recovery. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. And again, um, our main concern is helping as many people as possible and meeting them where they are uh, in order to guide them. Uh, so again, uh, I appreciate you all listening, um, having flexibility and patience with my own journey as I go through it. Um, and certainly I know Chris is continuing to learn as he goes. So uh, thank you as always, as always for listening. We are super pumped to celebrate episode 25 with you. Cody, thank you again for joining us uh, and we hope you enjoy episode 25. Cody. Christopher. Wow. What's up, Chris? I love you, buddy. I'm, I'm so happy that you invited me to do this, man. Dude, I love you too. So, Jackie, how happy are you that your brother is, is sober and, and whooping this much ass? Oh, life? my gosh. I'm so proud of him. And, and it's been it's been crazy because, I mean, I, I tried to. So I was the ignorant person on the family side at first trying to, like, fix everything and didn't realize that wasn't what you do. Mm -hmm. So it's been a journey mm -hmm. for everybody. But, oh, yeah. I mean, night and day difference. It's unbelievable. So proud. So proud of him. And I bet what? it's just a load off your mother's. I'm sure it's a load off your mother's heart and mind. And that, you know, that, that you and her can have like a, a mother-daughter relationship that's not always surrounding what your brother's getting himself into. You yeah. know what I mean? That's, that's, a, yeah. that's really, people don't understand what a healing process, somebody getting like sober, getting better in their life, the ripple effect that it has on family members and just or literally society in general, but mostly family members. That it's like, oh, you know, it's like, when I got clean, it was like my my mother and my sister actually had like mother daughter stuff that they wanted to, needed to probably talk about and and be there for each other that didn't surround me running wild through the streets at thirty years old. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. for sure. Yep. No, I appreciate you saying that, and it's so true because like 
you know, in, in any family or any situation where you have a loved one, it's like, you kind of stop everything and that becomes the central point. And it's because you care mm -hmm. about them and you want to help them. Right. So yeah, you're right. For a long time, it was, you know, what, what is this and why is it not going away and what are we doing wrong and all that? So you're right. I, I love, and we have a lot of people listening that are family members that are just trying to learn more about mm -hmm. this. Um, and it's, I think that's the hardest thing to understand is what to do, you know, what the heck to do when you're, mm -hmm. when you're not the one that's struggling. Cause you're also struggling. Um, and you don't want to mm -hmm. take any weight on yourself, like, or any onus on yourself to say like, this is about me. Cause it's not, it's about trying to get the other person better. But then all of a sudden you realize, holy shit, like this is also me going through this, you know? So, right. Yeah. yeah. There's so much about the family that, that gets overlooked in this. And the, and the main thing is just not to give up hope that this is completely possible for anybody. Um, no matter, you know, how far down they are no matter what their life has been like before, no matter how messed up their family life is, that there's a total and complete way out of this. And, you know, it's complete, it's completely possible. It's really neat that you get an opportunity to kind of, for lack of a better word, minister to, to, to family members and, and to people that are like, Hey, you know, we're, we're reaching out. We're looking for some hope. We're looking for, we're looking for some solutions for my son or my grandson or wh whoever it is. And, and how do we get there from here? Yeah, know? absolutely. And the main piece to me is just don't give up, you know, just don't give up hope that it's, right. it's completely there. So, so sure. uh, this is actually, this is a big deal episode, Cody. This is episode number 25. Like this is, I feel like this is milestone. Nice. So we are thrilled to have you on and, um, and really appreciate you joining us. And I know that there's loads of stories and info you can give us on Chris, but you're also, um, you know, somebody who is a veteran in the recovery world and we're, we're pumped to have you. So thank you so much for joining. Oh yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful. Uh, yeah. I'm 25. That's great. That's a, you know, we do a podcast. We have one called erroneous constabulary mm -hmm. and, uh, realistically people who are like, Oh yeah, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to do that. It's a lot of work yeah. that goes into this, this kind of stuff, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a, it's a lot of like planning and like, you know, it, it takes a lot to get something off the ground in 25 episodes. That's a lot of content. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to you guys for keeping it together and keeping it going and, and headed in this right direction, because once you kind of get some momentum, you sure don't want to lose it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that's always a killer in the podcast thing. So, <clears throat> yeah, well, but that's great. 25. Having, uh, yeah. Wow. Having guests like you on just helped help us to keep it going. Oh, we're, we're trying to do as much so of the storytelling as we can just, you know, more education for all of the different types of people that are listening. So I'd love to, um, I'd love to start in reverse. Normally we start with your story, but I kind of want to know, and, and I want the audience to know, um, how you and Chris know each other. We don't have to go into crazy detail, but just for context, um, we've had a lot of people from Chris's journey on, um, and I know you're a very important mm -hmm. one. We, mm -hmm. we referenced you actually last episode. Um, I learned about uh, the black diamond tattoo and more. So oh. just how do you know Chris? What is your, what was your first impression? What was your first moment remembering Chris and just some context for, um, you know, your story together um, before we get into well, your Well, you know, when Chris got to, um, when I came in, so I own a group of sober living homes called the Crossroads Sober Living in uh, Kerrville, Texas. If you guys are, you need to, somebody that helped you guys, you know, duration, some sober living, you know, we can sure help do that. But, and I've done, I've had them for a long time, for years and years, but Chris and I want to say him and 
Christian, and there was probably a handful. We used to get them in kind of in waves in Kerrville. You would have waves of people from different treatments because Kerrville's really kind of a, like a mecca for recovery in Texas because there's three kind of major treatment centers that are kind of right here in, in Kerr County area. And we would get waves of people from different treatment centers. And usually, um, you know, there's one uh, that that is out in Center Point, the one that I went to, which is kind of a more of a blue collar uh, working class kind of a place. And there's one, the one that Chris went to is, um, is a little bit, it's nice. I mean, it's a little nicer, you know what I mean? They have maids and chefs and workout facilities and all that kind of stuff that, you know, I didn't get privy to. Um, in in the in treatment but we used to get guys from different treatment and you would always know the guys who would come out of the treatment center that chris went to a lot of those guys especially at that time my sponsor worked there and you would know that these guys uh if they ended up staying in Kerrville, they probably had a pretty good idea coming out uh of treatment a little bit about what we kind of do in sobriety to maintain sobriety and what and what we're doing and why we're that way that didn't squash their tremendous egos from, you know, the, 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 uh, the life that they may have had before that might have been a little bit, you know, I want to, don't want to say as low a bottom, but uh, these guys, a lot of those guys came from families that were, that were wealthy. And um, when Chris and that group of his guys showed up, they were looking for, your mom was looking for um, the, not the cheapest place, but a, a reasonable place where he could come and then he could recreate his life. And we had a spot where I think it cost at that time was like 325 bucks a month. There was nine guys. They lived in one big room. They had (laughs) one, one, they all shared one bathroom. They had a a one lounge area with a TV and a pool table. And that's where they lived. And it was, it was really cheap, but it was really a, a good place for guys to, that didn't, that didn't have other options, you know what I mean? To, to go and say, okay, this is, this is the way it's going to be. This, this is how I'm going to, I'm going to start my life. And the way I set that up and the reason I set it up that way is like, I wanted a guy who was able to, to walk down the street. It was close to a water burger and say, you know what, you can go down the street and flip burgers for, and I think minimum wage, like seven bucks an hour. Yep. And I was like, I, I want a guy to be able to go down the street and flip burgers and be able to pay his rent yep. with that. Because if you're, if you're paying your own, there's something about like taking responsibility for yourself in all aspects, like paying your own rent, right? Oh, yeah. That gives you some freedom. It's like, okay, oh, that's how you build real self-esteem is by doing esteemable shit. You know what I mean? It's like by like paying your own rent, paying that's your right. phone bill, paying for, you know what I mean? Oh, I need, I need shoes for work. I got to go and buy shoes for work. I got to, you know, I got to go buy this. I got to, and taking care of yourself because and you know we we're talking a little bit about the families it, the, the family doesn't know any better than the, the difference between what a handout and a hand up looks like mm-hmm. and yeah. if if we continue to do things for 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 drugs for anybody i mean i don't do this for things for my daughter but for for anybody that they should and can do for themselves we enable them to continue to act that way and so if yeah. we can get if we can and get these guys and say, okay, this is how you build real self-esteem is by doing esteemable stuff, by paying your bills on time, paying your own rent, paying your car insurance, paying your, you know, those things. And, and at that time um, I was, I had an opportunity to say, okay, here's a very cheap place for you guys to live. Uh, it's not nice, but it is livable. You know what I mean? You're not going to starve. You're, you're going to be able to take a hot shower. Um, 
and you're going to have some rules. You know, you're going to pay your own bill. I don't want your mother's money. That's why you should tell these boys, Christian, attest that is, I don't, I don't want your mom's rent. I don't want your mom to pay your rent. I want you to pay your rent. Right. And and the reasoning behind that was the same thing is I want to build self-esteem in those guys that I was able to come into action with, you know. Um, so he showed up, uh, him and another little crew of guys showed up and they were just wild. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> being, I don't know, he's probably 20, 19, 20, somewhere in there, years old. Um, and of course, a lot of times in people who have been especially exposed to recovery early on in their, you know, adolescence or or young adulthood uh will understand this it's like when you go to treatment and you start feeling everything starts coming alive again the first thing that you look for or the first thing that happens is you get a girlfriend it's like oh they say oh go get a sponsor go get a go to get a home group get a meeting do that first thing you guys come out of treatment with they want to go get a tattoo right they want to get a vape and they want to get a girlfriend and that's usually what happens you know what i mean so they are they, they were these young guys and they were full of piss and vinegar and they had these girls that were living in sober living girls sober livings in town so it was half the time we were running around trying to keep them sorted off each other um to you know and the, and the deal was look, these girls were trying to to get sober just like you are don't hinder their recovery right. that was the main thing i used to tell the guys all the time we used to have a little deal once a week where we'd talk you know i talk to him a little bit 15 20 minutes and i'd be like you know give these girls a break i'm not saying don't date but don't hinder the recovery by you know becoming their higher power or don't let them become your higher power you know what i mean let's you know there's nothing wrong with having a relationship in recovery i'm all for it um because i've messed up every recovery relationship i've ever been in my life by the way just i'll say that um I don't think there's anything bad about it, but, but there's a way to do it that is successful. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and, and Chris had, had a, had a girlfriend and really what I do with, with the guys that, that either the guys that I like or the guys that I see some leadership ability and we start grooming them to, to move into management positions for us. And at that time we had, I don't know, dude, a bunch of beds, 60, 50, 60 beds. We don't have that many. Beds. Yeah, so many so beds at that point. So many, so many, so many sober house beds. It was like literally 50 or 60 beds, which is as big as a lot of treatment centers. Yeah. And so I was constantly looking for guys who were going to take over as managers, you know, and I was pretty hands-on at that time too. I was like, okay, uh, this guy looks good. And, and Chris, Chris does, he's got the mag, he, he's very magnetic. He's, he can yeah. speak well. He articulates his thoughts well. Guys look to him and, and, Guys like that can either be an, uh, in your in your house can either be a hindrance, right, or can be a very positive influence. Yeah. And so it was like it was really my job at that time to see guys that that I could spot that had that ability and say, you know what, I want this guy to be a positive role model for these other guys in the house, and I'm going to start grooming him or grooming them to become management, you know, into our management of our houses. Um, and there's a lot of guys that Chris has got a, a good friend of ours that ran with yeah. Chris for years. That had the same way. People, he was good looking, and people super charismatic, super charismatic, and but he was a hindrance to a ton of people in recovery because he just didn't he didn't buy in fully. You know, he hadn't Mm -hmm. bought in the way that Chris had bought in. Chris had 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 been miserable enough, I think, in his life out in Raleigh that he was like he wanted to be sober. He just didn't know how. You know, he was looking for somebody to say, hey, buddy, this is how you get sober and this is how you stay sober. And when he found that, he was like, I'm holding on to this 
for dear life because it's what I really wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. No matter what. Yeah, a lot of those right. guys had was that right? Is that a pretty fair assessment, Chris? That's ex- that's exactly right. We actually talked about that in one of the last episodes that once I finally found like the solution that, you know, was presented to to me by, you know, Chris and Joe and you and all those guys, I was like, wow, I finally found the right place to get sober. You know what I mean? Like this is this is it. And and I knew I would be okay as long as I actually tried. Right. And and for like we used to call it drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, for lack of a better word, he drank he drank the Kool-Aid fully and, and fully became, you know, invested in what we were doing. And then so I asked him, I said, buddy, you wanna, you know, you wanna help me out, you wanna start managing one of my one of these houses. And and I usually always do this. I always get my guys to make a commitment and say, okay, so if I'm going to put you in this role as a manager, I want you to commit six months to me or a year or however long. And I like, I didn't even think about it. I just asked Chris to do this and I didn't ask him to make a commitment to me. Yeah. And about a month, he was, he, he pulled me aside. He said, Hey, I got a, an offer to go manage this other sober house and I'm going to do it. And I went, and I forgot to get him to commit. To, to working with me for a year. I was like, I got all this invested in this guy. And then he's going to go run this other house. I was like, dude, do you really want to go over there? So, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it wasn't, he didn't work for, he didn't work for that lady for very long. I don't know, a while. I don't know, maybe a month. It was like month, three months, months, two to three months. Three months. Yeah, maybe two months. And I had, uh, so I had another house that I would take, all you had to do, and the house that Chris started at, mainly the guys would come out of treatment um mm-hmm. to go to that house i had another house that was for the real dgens for the guys who had relapsed or guys who didn't have any money and they would come off the street or all they had to do need the detox on the couch yeah detox on the couch all they had to do was tell me i want to get sober mm-hmm. and i would let them in we would let them in all they would have to do be like, i want to be sober and we'd say, okay well, we'll give you a shot and uh, i had a, a management position come open over at that house which happened quite regularly um and i i hit chris up i said hey buddy are you do you want to come work for me again and, and run this house for me and i was like i could really use your help and i said you could really help a lot of guys and i mean like really like low bottom degenerate drug addict guys and he's like yes i think i will do that yeah. plus yep. plus they could have girls at the house the other <laughs> first house they couldn't have their girlfriends over that house they could have <laughs> girls over so he was that was a big don't let him tell you that it was just because he was able to help out with drug addicts. It was also because they could have girls there. Is that is that true, Chris? Don't let me, don't let me. That lie. is true. That is true. You're not lying. It's all about honesty here. Sure. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me because I've never. I mean, obviously, we haven't ever talked about um, really the relationship side of things, um, especially you know early out of treatment. But it's it's interesting to me, and I could understand that like confidence is high, right? Like you've gone through this spiritual awakening and you're feeling good and you're, you know, you're a renewed sense of self. And so I, I could see how that could be a thing. And, and it's just interesting because we've never talked about it. So it's too funny that you give that context. It's the truth. Oh, it's, I mean, it's literally, I'm, I'm, I'm being completely hundred percent honest. It's something you see all the time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and still to this day, it's the same way. It doesn't, that's something that's a constant. It, it's, that just doesn't change. I don't think, I think it was probably that way. And in the 30s, when Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob were trying to sober people up, I'm sure it was a thing then, and I think it will yeah. be, a, you know, a thousand of years yep. into the future that it, it'll just be that way, you know. It's just quite funny. And Chris stayed, I don't know, would you would you stay there six months? 
something like that? What'd you I stayed, I stayed there for, I think it was probably mm-hmm. like around six months sober where I got the job and moved to South Padre Island. Yeah. yeah so probably I think I was, months. I think I was, yeah, it was, it was six months and it was, it was amazing, man. The amount of people that came into the black diamond for help. I mean, it was literally like, Cody would call me and Christian and be like, I got a guy coming. He needs to, he needs to sleep on the couch for the next few few nights to sober up. And this guy, this guy's been relapsing for the past 10 years, yada, yada, yada. And honestly, one of the coolest things about that Cody's love of helping guys that are just chronic relapsers, because I know Cody, you struggled with that personally for a long time. Long time. I mean, a long time. And I guess, you know, you have a soft spot in your heart for, for those guys that just, quote unquote, can't seem to get it. And mm-hmm. I could rattle off five, five to 10 names right now of guys that everyone gave up on, everyone gave up on. And now they're sober, married with kids, like, you know, very productive members of society who are happy and living a good life because, you know, you didn't enable them. Um, but you, you sure as hell didn't avoid them when they needed help. So yeah, I'm well, I'm not gonna, you know, you just don't give up. You know what I mean? You don't, as long as you're, as long as you're breathing, you got a chance to get sober. You know what I mean? And and yeah. we lose so many, uh, we lose so many guys, especially, you know, um, you know, Chris was, was right in the middle of that opioid epidemic, but, you know, we lose so many guys, especially the, the fentanyl and stuff now that, that we, yeah. that we see mm-hmm. in these young guys, um, that's just, just kills people right now. We lose so many people to overdose. Uh, but also the suicide. That's that's the thing. You yeah. know, there's a lot of these yeah. things that are, they're like, oh, these are overdose deaths. And a lot of these are guys who are so miserable with their life. They're like, screw it. I'm just going to off myself. So if I'm going to take a shot, it's way too big. Yep. Yeah. I'm just going to check out. Wow. And, you know, so my my uh, philosophy was always, if you're breathing, right, you still got a shot. Yeah. You know, as long as you're alive, you have an opportunity to get sober. And you know, because there's so many of those guys who literally everybody had given, you know, they lived in every sober house, they had every sponsor, their families didn't want to have anything to do with them, and they would, they knew that if they told me, hey, I want to get sober, that they wouldn't have to sleep in the cold. You yeah. know what I mean? That yeah. I would say, okay, buddy, come on, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna do this. For um, sure. and, and you know, we had a fairly scripted way that we did things, and and it. And it worked. It worked for a long, long time. Um, yeah. And I think that whole crew of guys uh, that Chris was there with, I mean, there was probably, I don't know, you were there six months. I bet there was you probably ran through 60 or 70 guys probably. Through at least, at least 70 guys, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know. so, um, so real quick, I mean, Cody, tell us just, I mean, and, and again, we don't have to go into detail, but like, what, what's your background? Like, where does this come from? And, and, and why do you keep going with this? Like, what's your own personal story with this world? <laughs> well, I, I started trying to get sober when I was about Christmas, when I was about 19 or 20, um, went to, you know, came from, you know, my dad had got sober in the eighties. There was a big kind of a treatment center boom in the eighties. And, and my dad had, struggled with the drinking problem for a lot of years and, and got sober in the eighties. So a lot of that uh, stemmed from, you know, me having a soft, you know, having people and, you know, being around recovery, even as a little kid, you know, um, but I had kind of my own struggle struggles and, and, uh, you know, got, got kicked out of college kind of my second year in school and, and ended up in treatment and, uh, and ended up going to a, to a, uh, to a co-ed sober house, to a sober house. 
And I always thought if somebody would have said, you know, put their arm around me and said, look, buddy, if you do this, you will never have to worry about drinking or doing drugs ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, not only will it not cross your mind, it will not not cross your mind. It's kind of one of those situations where if somebody would have would have told me that there was this kind of freedom yeah. 20, 20 years before I found it, I don't know how different my life would be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I always thought it was kind of my duty to to see these guys who were in that first brush of of um, treatment and say, you know what, if you turn your life around, you've got the majority of your life ahead. You've got another 50 or 60 years ahead of you. And they can all be filled with the, the miracle of God's power. Yeah. Instead of being an old washed up meth head like I am and just now getting, you know, I'm just now figuring out, hey, you know what, I can have a really cool life. Because um, I went to a co-ed sober. It was like, I could only imagine how horrible uh, it was to run that. I can imagine how it was to live in that place. I mean, to run a co-ed sober house, it was like, it was, it would have been an impossibility. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. For anybody to think that that would, for anybody to think that that would work um, doesn't have their client's best interest in mind. Hmm. Okay. Nope. They, they, they look at the situation and go, how can I make the most money? Oh, well, I can get girls and guys in the same sober house. Yeah, this will work. That, yeah. That's, that's the biggest bunch of horseshit I've ever heard in my life. And, and yeah, why right? is, is that just because of distraction? Like, tell us a little bit more about why hmm. for the people that aren't going to understand that right away. Like, why is that? You ever been in a college frat house? Yeah. <laughs> Jackie? Okay. Yeah. yeah. You've been in a college frat house. That's kind of like what a, what a, a young men's sober living house is like. Yep. Can you imagine having a frat house and a sorority house in the same house? <laughs> no, not at all. How, how, di- yeah. How difficult it would be to have any semblance of order or anything going on. You, you couldn't, there'd be no way to control that. There'd be no way mm-hmm. you're doing you're doing people a disservice by putting them in a situation. Yeah, that's Agreed. the gentlest. That's like the gentlest, easiest way that I can put that without getting my Too offensive. Not getting your yeah. censor. Yeah, not getting your not getting your your censors uh, hackled up because I can tell you really why the best way you know. But it, it, it's that's the main reason. It's like those two things to put men and women, especially nineteen to. 30 year old yeah. men and women in a so in a sober environment where they're just getting their life back together and they're spending 24 hours a day together. It's not healthy. Yeah. It's just not, not happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not happening. Yeah. No. No, th- thanks the success for that rate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The success rate would be pretty low. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so anybody who, who says that that's a good idea is a fool. Yeah. You know? yeah. Interesting. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's how I saw, that's how I kind of got to know your brother. The first, his first year, 18 months, uh, we're spent there running around Kerrville and helping guys. I spent my 21st birthday with you two, oh. two weeks after I got a treatment. Yeah. We were playing poker on my 21st birthday. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, this is crazy. I haven't thought about drinking once today. And I would, you know, I'm a big, big alcoholic as well as a heroin addict. You know, you know what? I was just, I just remembered something. Thing. I was thinking about the time that you brought because you had an intake form for everybody that uh, everybody that you know moved into your sober house or checked into your sober house and I think it was like six months after we were living there or like maybe like four three or four months after we were living there and you you brought a stack out with Craig and, and you we were showing I don't remember who it was but we were showing a couple of the new guys that were in there that were slacking on all their work 
and uh -huh. we had a stack of intake forms and you said you see all these forms right here and it was like a huge stack of paperwork and you were like every single one of these pieces of paper is somebody who checked into here got to their fourth step and then didn't complete their fourth step and all of these people are no longer living here and i was kind of like wow that's pretty clear proof that if you just sit there and you don't actually get through the work and, and you're not actually bought in and doing what's asked of you like it's pretty difficult to stay sober in my experience well yeah if you don't do what's asked of you you know what i mean and it's and it's and it's the the <clears throat> looking back and i don't know if you realize i had this realization too but looking back it's like it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal today but i remember going through the work the first time and when i say jackie when we say going through the work and going through the step work yeah. now i remember the first time going through the work in kerrville thinking how obviously my life was in complete shambles but thinking about how big of a deal and how momentous it was for me to sit down and do the do the work as honestly and thoroughly as i possibly could and how big of a deal that was to me at that time and then looking back, like today, looking back and going, oh, you know, doing a fourth and fifth, it's not that big a deal today. You know what I mean? So it's like, no, right. you know what I mean? But at the time, it was like, it was the biggest deal. I, it was the biggest thing in my life. You know what I mean? It was like the biggest Damn. undertaking of my life because I didn't know, I did not only know the freedom that lied behind it. You know what I mean? I had no clue of, about all of that stuff that I thought was full of shame and guilt and, and all of the stuff that I've been beating myself up over and, and the way that I'd been literally abusing everybody I'd come into contact with that those things when I sat down across from another man and shared those with them like how many of that how much of that stuff 98 percent of the stuff on that piece of paper that I had this guy had done you know what I mean he was like look dude I did some stuff here let me tell you about some work shit that I did you know what I mean and you're like oh okay that it's not that big it's not, it's really not that big a deal I don't I don't particularly like doing steps four and five or steps eight and nine i particularly don't like those steps i do them because i like the effect produced you know what i mean it's like it, it talks about in like a, a lot of our literature that we drink and we use for the effects produced i like the effects produced by alcohol right i like to be you know that social lubricant and that two beer feeling i like that stuff right i do the step work for the same reason mm -hmm. i do the step work because i like the effects produced right i do steps four and five so i can really have the blinders taken off of my eyes and really see my life for what it is and then i have an opportunity yep. to go back out into the world and make those things right as right as i ever can with the people that i come into contact with you know and i like it because of the freedom like chris was talking about it's like i don't today i don't think about drinking i don't think about not drinking it just doesn't i don't think about it you know i'm out here shoveling chicken shit or whatever i'm doing on my little farm i don't think about it you know what i mean it's just not a it's not a thing for me you know, yeah. it's not something I battle with today. And and up until that time, up until I got exposed to to the program as it was prescribed here in Kerrville, I thought it was something that I was going to be battling and struggling against every day that I was going to constantly be on guard that, oh, I don't want to get triggered. I may want to, you know, I may want to use again. You know what I mean? It's like nobody wants to live there that way. No. Nobody wants to sit on their hands and that be the focal point of their entire life. Oh, I gotta make sure I don't drive down this road because there's a liquor store down. So give a shit. Give a damn if there's ten liquor stores down there. If I gotta go down there and do something, I'm driving down the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah. there's there's so many different ways that that people try to go about helping people get sober, and it's just like I, I want I want I want some freedom. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to be free to to live a life that I want to live. 
And I'd never been shown that before. You know, it was for us. I was 29 years old when I got to Kerrville. I had 50 bucks in my pocket and a black trash bag full of dirty clothes. You know what I mean? I had nothing. Nobody wanted me back where I came from. Like, I had a wife and kids and a girlfriend and kids, and none of them wanted me back. They're like, stay the f- away from me. <laughs> we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be around you. We don't like you. We don't want to talk to you. Send your, pay your child support on time. That's all they cared about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. They're like, stay away from us. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm staying in Kerrville. I don't need place else to go, you know, and, uh, and I've never left, you know what I mean? So I, don't, I think this is where God has me and I'm kind of grateful for it. I have a pretty cool life today. Yeah. It sounds like you're pretty thriving. Cool. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's a crazy story and, you know, but you know, you've seen, you've seen what happens when, when you've gone through like a true change and now you're able to pay that forward, which is just incredible, you know? And I have, um, so I have two things actually that I'd love to ask both of you, just mainly in how you guide um, people that are coming through recovery. And the first would be, I've actually seen more recently, like a lot of comments or questions that have come in um, about people just questioning if they're a real addict or real alcoholic or not. Right. And I, I think we, you know, mm-hmm. in society, or at least in my own experience in going through what Chris went through is like, as soon as you hear that there's something, um, there's an issue of any sort with drugs or alcohol, you immediately just say, get him to treatment, go do the thing. Like it's, it's a very kind of panicked thing. Um, and as I'm learning mm-hmm. kind of more about the steps and how, how you guys would approach someone, it's really first about kind of getting them to understand, you know, how, how, where they are in their journey, right? How to qualify them. So how would you, like, if somebody's listening right now and they're just not sure, right? Like they know they drink a lot or they, or they're using a lot, probably more than normal, but they're just not sure like where to go from there. And they feel really uneasy about it. How do you normally guide somebody like that? Well, I mean, really you, there's a couple of questions that you, you know, we, we call them qualifying questions, but uh, and you mentioned that word qualify, but that, you know, it's like, uh, have you ever drank or used more than you int- intended? And pretty much any, anybody who's ever drank goes, oh yeah, I've drank more than I intended. Uh, the real kicker is, can you stop and stay stopped? Right. And then how do you feel when you're, when it's not in your system? You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. It was like, I could stop, but I could never stay stopped. I could stop for a month or six weeks or however long it was. I could stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. Yeah. You know, that was, that was when somebody goes, can you stop and stay stopped? I was like, no, I can stop and I can't stay stopped. And he's like, okay, then that's an issue. He's like, once it's completely out of my body, what is this piece inside my mind that, that tricks me into believing that it's going to be different, that I'm going to say, oh, you know what? I can do it like this and it's going to completely have a different turnout than it ever has. You know, that's what, and it was intriguing to me. It was intriguing because I was like, well, well, yeah, I, obviously done more than I intended and no I can't stop and stay stopped you know and and the, the other answer was how do I feel when I didn't have my system I was miserable I was miserable you know what I mean um and that's kind of you know you, you but you have to get people to a place where they're like they're miserable right and they want to stop they, yeah. they they have some inkling they, they have some willingness to say you know what okay I've got an issue with this I want to do something about it because a lot of times people know they have issues, but they don't want to do anything about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you That's can't date them. Very true. Yeah. It, yeah. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny. Like a lot of people don't understand. And, and I didn't understand this until I, I got into recovery that alcohol and 
heroin and drugs and whatever I was doing was not my problem. It is a problem in my life, but it is not my problem. It is my solution. Like I, mm. I use alcohol and drugs as a solution to a, a genuine spiritual hole that's within me. And I wasn't falling apart at the seams when I started doing drugs and drinking, but eventually I got to a point to where like, I, if you take alcohol and drugs away from me and you just leave me dry and tell me to go to a bunch of meetings, I have no solution at that point. Like a meeting, going to one meeting is a very temporary solution. It is good and it is very important to the recovery, you know, circle and triangle that we have to stay within, which we can talk about. But like me just taking the alcohol and drugs away from myself or somebody else and saying, you know, call this person every day and go to a meeting every day. Like there is no solution for the other 23 hours of the day that you're, that you're not in that meeting and you're not sitting there on the phone. And I need, like Cody was saying, I do this step work for the effect produced and, and I receive, I, I want that freedom. Like I also want that freedom as well, but I personally need that freedom. And I know for, for real alcoholics and real drug addicts, like there has to be a sufficient enough substitute to allow us or give us the, the, the ability to, to think straight and, and be happy and stay away from it forever. And, you know, there are like family members that are listening. There are, if you have a dad or like, I actually had a buddy of mine reach out and he said, you know, my stepdad has been, been drinking and, and um, we don't know what to do. And, and he has a very successful job and he's functioning. And I said, all right. And I qualified, like Cody was saying, I qualified his dad based on his son's experience. And, and I said, well, do you think that your stepdad, can control the amount he drinks. And he said, no, absolutely not. He starts drinking at five o'clock in the morning and, and doesn't stop until he goes to bed. And I said, mm. okay, uh, I don't know if that's functioning, but uh, can he stop on his own? And has he ever? And he said, well, he's tried, but he's been unable to stop on his own and he won't admit that he has a problem. Now there's two problems here. One is we just found out that there's a good possibility he's a real alcoholic as opposed to a hard drinker. Yeah. But two, he's in a position of, of denial where he's like, I'm not going to listen to anyone around me and I don't want to stop. And then and then the conversation comes to, you know, do you present this book or, or this this problem to him, this cycle of addiction to him and just say, hey, look, I learned this about alcoholism. It might be something you're interested in. Or do you just say, Hey, I'm not going to condone this behavior. And when you want help, you need to, you need to let me know, but I'm not going to sit around for it and let, let you, let you do this to yourself and let you do this to us. Sure. Kind of yeah. a, I'm not going to, yeah, we're going to make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. We're going to not, I'm going to, I'm going to not subject myself to that kind of behavior. Like if my stepdad was acting like that, I just would be like, look, buddy, here, here's the deal. And until you want to do something different, I'm not going to be involved in your life. And as difficult yeah. as, as that is for family members to do, it's pretty paramount. Yeah, it is. You know, to say to say, look, we're going to cut off this enablement, which yep. is whatever it is. It it could just be it could just be your time. You know what I mean for a for a you know a father son or a whatever. Be like, look, in, until you decide you want to do something different, I'm, I'm not going to be involved in your life. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah. It, that's and that's pretty difficult. That's pretty difficult for like a mother to to wrap their mind around. They're like, oh, my baby. You know, my son, my baby boy is killing himself with heroin. And you're telling me not to be involved in his life? Mm, mm. Well, yeah. I'm yeah. telling you not to my, be involved in his life, you know? 
My mom um, actually it, got on an episode, Cody, and, and she talked about a story where I, I was begging her to just go sleep on the back porch. And I said, if you don't let me come sleep on the back porch, I'm going to kill myself. And she just started crying. And she said, you know that I'm not able to let you back to this house. And how dare you? How dare you say that to me when all I want you to do is get better and, and hung up? Mm-hmm. She saved my life when she did that. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's like some real, really like strength right there that she showed because yeah. not nine out of 10 times a mom's not going to be able to you know what I mean they're going to go okay baby come on you know come see, you know what I mean yeah. and then you just work warm your way back in yeah and so, that's why I said you know nobody wanted me back where I came from they were like look dude well, we've had it with you and yeah. until yeah. you change your life we don't want to be you know Grant and, and you know backing up a little bit I have great relationship with both those women today I mean I talk to them on a regular basis we have kids you know we have kids, my 20 year old daughter's living with me, you know, but for a, for a family member to, to do exactly opposite of what they think is the right thing to do is very difficult. It's very difficult. I'm not trying, trying to say that it's not, but because think about that situation with your mom, Chris, it's like, you know, the natural mothering instinct thing to do would be like, oh, you're my son. I'm going to not let you sleep in the cold. You know what I mean? But she was like, look, I'm not going to let you back in the house. And I can't believe that you would ask me to do that. You know what I mean? That's a, that that takes a lot of that takes a lot of grit. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I also so then is it fair to say that if somebody, you know, listening is struggling themselves with trying to figure out where they fall or where they could qualify? I mean, it sounds to me and and Chris, I actually remember back to I think episode two where we talked about the story where, you know. You, you at one point were guided to kind of go to a bar room and have a couple of drinks and, you know, try an order two and walk away and then, and try that again. But if, yep. I mean, is it basically that, you know, maybe you can put the bottle down, but that feeling that you have of, of uh, being unfulfilled or not happy once you do that is probably a red flag, right? It's probably the time where you're like, something else might be going on. Is that fair to say? It is the biggest indicator of, the, the difference between a real alcoholic and, and a, a hard drinker is is that mental piece to where they can't bring into their consciousness how bad it was a week or two weeks or a month ago or a year ago in order to prevent them from from drinking ever again like there are people out there that may be real that are real alcoholics that can put it down for six months to a year yep. but then all of a sudden you know, they swore it off and said they'd never do it again. But then all of a sudden they find themselves years, two years down the road drinking alcohol. And they're like, well, wait a second. Like, I thought I had this thing under control. And it's very clear in, in, in the program that if someone is not fully convinced that they're a real alcoholic and they're like, look, I think I can control this stuff. That is okay for them to think that way. It doesn't mean they're a bad person or or whatever. Like they're trying to be, if they are actually being honest with themselves, it tells us to say, look, go try some controlled drinking. If you think you can do it like a normal person, go try it and let me know how it goes and be honest with yourself. And if it works, go try it again. And when it works again, try it again and keep me posted on your progress because Sooner or later, you're going to realize whether you've got a handle on this thing or not. And it's going to be very clear once you have the facts presented in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that's, that's something that's, that's very difficult. And, you know, just like you were talking about, it's like, oh, 
you know, you figure out something's wrong with my, my kid and it's just very panicked. Oh, get into treatment. Pick your treatment centers as wisely as you can. Uh, and that's the problem because people will flip up on Google and whoever has the most Google ad reps. Yeah. That's who they call, you know what I mean? And then you end up with your kid somewhere in Florida getting a massage, uh, you know, and acupuncture, which works great for people, but not for a guy like Chris or not for a guy like me. You know, I need somebody in my face saying, hey, buddy, it's time for you to do something with your life. Yep. You know, and there's still some good treatment centers out there. Don't get me wrong. There's still some good treatment centers out there. And I didn't mean that to be. Well, if this is this yeah. is actually a perfect segue into my final question for you guys, and I really appreciate you bringing that up, and and it also ties into you uh, sharing earlier about just you know who you receive um, in in your homes because one of the biggest and I mean listen, it's no secret, and we are fully aware that Chris has had a very privileged. Um, has had privileged choices through recovery, right? To have the means to go to treatment, to be able to make that choice, uh, have the financial backing from our parents to, to do that, right? So there are plenty of people out there that don't have a dime. They have negative $50 to spend. You had $50 to spend. So my next question is gonna be, how do you advise somebody that, um, knows for a fact that they can't afford treatment and they still want to get better and they're ready and they're hearing this, like what, how do you advise them um, from here today if they're listening? You know, it, it's, it's a very difficult place to be because <clears throat> the, uh, the access uh, for people who do not have the means to go to treatment is very limited. Yeah. There's, a, there's a handful of, of state-sponsored in every state, there's a handful of places that are qualified to, uh, they get state assistance to help people get into treatment. Um, and those beds fill up really fast. Yep. You know what I mean? And because they have a criteria and then they have, on top of having a criteria, then they have a, a, a needs. So if you're, a, if you're an alcoholic, you're at the bottom of the list. If you're an IV drug user, you're at the top of the list, right? If you're a man, you're at the bottom of the list. If you're a woman, you're at the top of the list, which is fine. So if you're if you have a home, you're at the bottom of the list. If you're homeless, you go to the top of the list, right? Uh, if you're pregnant or could be pregnant, you go to the top of the list. If you're not pregnant, you go to the bottom of the list. So which is good because the the very neediest, right? A, a homeless IV drug addict woman who's pregnant needs to get sober, needs to get the drugs out of her system to protect the baby, protect herself. She goes to the top of the list, but. And, and, and that needs to be the way that it is. <clears throat> but there's a ton of people that fall in between those two spots, right? Who, who don't have the means to, get, to go to treatment who really need to get better. You know what I mean? There's a ton of, of people who are just alcoholic. There's a ton of people who are just drug addicts. There's a ton of people who were successful and have a home but don't have insurance. And you know what I mean? There's a ton of, of different, it's, it's not a, there's not a cookie cutter answer yeah. for, for that question because it's so difficult for people without the means to find um you know for me um the best way that for for a guy like me a detox and a good strong home group will do as much service as a lot of high-end treatments yeah right that's right Um, and 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 it will It, it just depends on the willingness that somebody is to say you know what i've got to have this like i've got to breathe I've got to be, I know that if I continue down this road, that I'm going to die a 
yep. horrible drug addict death. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get sober. And I've got, you know, i got a buddy of mine now. He just texted me earlier. He just got out of treatment for the umpteen. He's been in prison since I've known him four times. I've been in treatment eight times. And he just got out of a state-sponsored treatment center. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, Chris knows him. I mean, we all know him. He's a friend of ours. And uh, the deal is, is this guy's had every opportunity in the world to get sober. Right, every opportunity in the world to get sober, um, but he just he just can't seem to do it. And he's got one more time. He's been to state sponsored treatment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's probably been eight times. There's, that means that seven there's seven seven guys that didn't get to go to treatment because he was there taking up space. You know what I mean? Yeah. In those times. And so it's a very difficult question. So if if there was a way for somebody that had their, I would say like their 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 primary doctor, what it, I don't know what y'all call them in North Carolina, but it's like our primary position, uh, yeah. primary yeah. physician, in her, you know, and say, hey, look, I'm having trouble uh, with drinking. I need something to help me kind of step off, and I'm going to try to find a sponsor and, and go to some meetings. And the thing is, is you, the deal about finding a good home group is a meet, uh, a group that's literature-based meetings. That's That's the biggest difference that I ever saw between going to what's called an open discussion meeting and what's called a, a big book or a closed big book study meeting. Those are the meetings that you need to go go to. An open discussion meeting is like it's kind of like group therapy. People throwing their opinions. It's yeah, throwing their opinions yeah. around the room and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different ways um that that with the right guidance that to help somebody that doesn't have those means. To say, you know what, I need to go to a clinic or to a doctor and say, hey, I'm trying to detox. I need A, B, you know, I need to help with some medication for a week. And then to get them involved in the big book, in a big book fellowship or in a, a spiritual fellowship and saying, because this is what, that's really what needs to happen. Yeah. You know, the rest of that stuff is just fluff. You know, playing, being able to play water volleyball and, and, you know, doing gratefuls around the fire every night is great, <laughs> but it's, it's not, you know, exactly what people need to get sober. There's a, there's a lot of people that can get sober with a lot less. Right. And uh, it is it possible. Is possible. It's yeah. just difficult. It yeah. is possible. It's just difficult. We you know, just it's more to, difficult. We need to, we need to figure that out. And I know that's a way bigger like conversation, but it's just, you know, I mean, that is like, it's, it's sad to me a little bit that it's like, yeah, it's easy if you got, if you got the the money to spend. Right. But there's so many people mm-hmm. that, that just don't have means. And like, why does that mean that, you know, they, they shouldn't get the same type of help, you know, but I, I think, I think to give hope to people that don't have the means to spend dollars, um, like we've talked about. And I just want to be crystal clear on this podcast. Like we're not trying to represent one group of people by any means. So it's like, that's why I asked the question, right? It's like, yeah, like there's gotta be, there's hope, right? There's hope for people that don't have means. And there's a lot of people who can't afford to take off work for 30 days and go to treatment. There's lots of, you know, single income dads and or single or single moms who who can't who have two kids and and their kids are one's in daycare and one's in school and and they've got to they've got to go to work uh, yeah. to make ends meet and they don't they they can't they may have a policy but they they can't go to treatment there's no way they can take off yeah. days. So one thing I definitely would go ahead. one thing I would definitely say is people were getting sober they were getting sober by the hundreds and the thousands before treatment facilities were even 
close to a thing like like reading about the history of how, how this whole deal started and everything i mean treatment facilities came along after uh people started getting sober through this program and you know my my opinion is if somebody has enough like enough desperation like if they are done 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 and they will go through the process and trust it you can get sober without going to rehab and you can get sober. Um, you know, I, the hard part is getting through those initial five days or, or whatever mm-hmm. of detox, whatever, whatever drug you're going through or, or alcohol you're going through. And some of them, you know, like it's going to be really difficult for someone to detox themselves at home by getting administered alcohol. If they can't afford to go to a detox facility and get, you know, yeah. the benzodiazepines that are necessary not to have a seizure, but Mm-hmm. But um, I just want to make sure that people understand that they do not have to go to rehab to get to get sober or go to a sober house to get sober. However, mm-hmm. no. it definitely I mean, it is it is proven that it definitely increases the person's chances of, of staying sober. Um, and that's true. And, and, and that's really the truth is, is that it does increase people's chances by going to treatment, by going to sober living, by doing the, by doing those things that are kind of set up that that does increase your chances of, of getting and staying sober because you have it's just more not access. mandatory. Yes. You have more access and you're, and you're physically withdrawn from it normally to where like you, you couldn't just have one moment at night where you're like, you know what, screw this. And that mental obsession kicks in after a couple of days. It's you're more kind of locked down and, and physically away from it. Um, but I just, I just, I've always been a believer that like you can get well, no matter what your current circumstance is, even if you're a single mother at home with kids and have to work, just like Cody was saying, like, it's, it's this, <laughs> this shit works <laughs> like very well. It does. It does. And very well. You know, there was a, there was definitely a time in me having sober houses that I would have never voiced my opinion about treatment centers because I was worried that they were going to cut me off from sending people to my sober house. You know what I mean? Because I'm at a spot in my life where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've got some houses. Uh, I'm, I, I have about 20, 20 or 25 beds, which is great because I can be more involved with the little guys in my house. And I don't have to have, they don't have to be full. You know what I mean? Yeah. Back when, you know, back when your brother was living with me, it was a, it was an operation. It was my sole vocation was that. And uh, today, today I'm, I'm blessed. It, it, I still get to be involved in that. But I'm, it's not as a big a part of my life. And right. so I can kind of turn loose and, and tell you kind of really what I think. And, and that's the truth. Your brother's dead on it. But it's, 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 uh, it, it ups your chances, but it's in no way mandatory. You yeah. know what I mean? So if you're listening to this and, and you're struggling and you don't have the means and you don't have the ability, maybe have the means but don't have the, the opportunity to go to treatment, it, it's still getting sober is still possible. Thank you for saying so. that too. Yeah, that's that's imp- it's just important because we've got – such a wide audience. It's um, as I'm learning about this, I'm learning, you know, there's differing opinions on a lot of stuff, but I also think the at the foundation with the right guidance, recovery is possible no matter the scenario, right? And as you said, if you're still breathing, it's possible. I love that because it's true. And, and it's just about, you know, us trying to represent as much as we can here, but also just giving a little bit of hope, right? So, um, so I really appreciate that. And, you know, there, it's, it's, I realize it's a, you know, the whole topic, you know, has so much stigma around it and all that. And it's, it's really, it's, it's a lot to talk about, but it's really important that we keep, 
keep talking about it because it's just there's a lot to go along with it. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of people that are very lost in this. Um, and 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 again, to find somebody that can help guide you through where you are in your scenario if you're struggling or where your loved one is is how to get started and, and hopefully we'll get you down the path. For sure. And that and that's it. And that's the thing is just being able to get connected to to somebody that can give you an unbiased, uh, at, at somebody who just generally wants to help and somebody who's not trying to just sell you on their program for I'm doing air quotes and there's nobody in my barn, right? I'm sitting doing air quotes to myself, but <laughs> nobody's not trying to sell you on their program. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that somebody who's generally trying to guide you in a way that says, Hey, you know what? This may fulfill your needs the very best way possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's, that's really what we're trying to get to is, is this spot where we can help as many people as possible yeah. by, any, by, by any means necessary. And I know that's what you guys are, are getting an opportunity to do. I think it's awesome. You know what I mean, Jack? I think it's great. Thank um, you. Yeah. You know, I think you know, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing God's work. So, Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the goal is we want to help as many people as possible and, um, and just continue to learn um, and, and spread the word as best we can. But um, thank you. And so I, I do want to wrap up here just so we don't get too long, but, um, but and mm. I would love to know from you, I mean, you've been, you've been in this world of recovery for a long time. You've been through a lot. Um, what, what would you like to leave in parting for the audience? We always kind of end on this is just like, and, and not to put you on the spot, but just anything you'd like to leave, uh, before we wrap up. Oh, I mean, I, you really, you know, you really took my, my catchphrase, uh, out of our mouth but as long as you're breathing you got a chance you know there is hope yeah. for for somebody who's a hopeless drug addict there is hope um for guys like chris or guys like me to be sober and happy um today is is just as miraculous as if i went down to the guadalupe river and saw a man walking on water hmm. that that you your recovery in your life can be just as miraculous as all of those miracles you ever read about um, and it's completely possible I love it. Come on. <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much. This has been, it's been so much fun hearing from you. And I love the roasting of Chris, of course, because, you know, he's my brother. Uh, so we got to, we got to keep that up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, guys, I sure love you guys. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on and visit with you guys a little bit. And, and you know, happy 2025th, uh, you know, segment. That's great. Yes. Uh, anybody out there uh, needs help with sober living? Uh, our uh, website is crossroadscurville.com. Uh, you can get in touch with Chris, email him directly, he knows how to get a hold of me. Or if you want to hear uh, some pretty funny uh, stuff, uh, our podcast is called Erroneous Constabulary. Y'all go check that out. There's a bunch of uh, therapists and people that we know through the business uh, in sobriety and stuff that are on there too. So we'd love to get you guys to have a listen to that. And, and Chris, I'm just so proud of you. I can't hardly stand it, my friend. So I sure love you. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Me too. Yep. We'll get up. We'll get all that stuff linked for, uh, for the audience, um, Cody to, uh, crossroads and to your podcast as well. Um, but thank you again. Enjoy the, enjoy the time in the barn, get some time for yourself. (laughs) All right. All right. Love love you so much, Cody. I I love you too, bud. I'll talk to you soon. Bye guys. All right. See you guys.